Hello folks and welcome to an experiment. This is a new kind of podcast. Um, I haven't done one of these before. Um, I have uh, my friend James Thompson here and he's a very well-known independent developer and a world-class work-from-home champion. And uh, right now, of course, you're all very aware that with the coronavirus, we're stuck at home, it can feel rather isolating or anxious by ourselves, reading news all day about quarantine and similar. And um, I, I'm, I'm keen to break that somehow. So I figured we'd come here on, on YouTube, have a chat about Apple platform development, working from home, tips for both, being featured in the App Store, and lots more. And hopefully in doing so, helping you all feel a little bit more normal, a little bit more uh, relaxed, like you're just sort of a random working from home day for an hour or so about the way. Now I should say before we start, um, I always have some rules in these live streams. Uh, you know, please, no harassment or trolling. You'll get blocked and banned and kicked out, which is not a nice thing. Please don't do that. Uh, no feigned surprise. Someone asked a question and they weren't aware of some technology and no well actuallys. Um, so just be a, a nice, normal person and you'll fit right in. Um, as with all my uh, streams and, and videos, I'll say briefly, thank you so much to Instabug for sponsoring the site. Um, if you integrate their SDK with your app, you can make it super easy to know why your app crashed and then fix it much faster. I've got tons of questions for James. Um, I'm gonna go through them, but hopefully you folks have questions too. So by all means, jump into that chat window, ask away, and I will feature the most exciting ones or interesting ones and and, and grill James to make sure he really, really answers them fully. <laughs> so James, you are, you're living the dream, right? You are, you are uh, making enough money from app development on Apple's platforms that it's your your job. I mean, was that always the plan for you or was it a side gig that just grew and grew and grew and grew? I, I mean, I think none of this was planned. I think I kind <laughs> of like just have been sort of staggering from one success to the next through a combination of luck and uh, stubbornness. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, I realized that it's 20 years since uh, I started doing this, like like working independently, like almost to the, mu to the month. Happy anniversary. Uh, well, thank you. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I kind of, yeah, I am, I'm, I'm in, a, in, a, in a great position in the uh, first drag thing and then Peacock have been supporting me and Dice by Peacock. Of course, um, have been supporting me uh, and my wife, and we work from home. So, you know, especially in the current situation, we have a pretty good setup in terms of, you know, I, I literally, the kind of the start of this month, I bought myself a new desk and I set myself up a nice uh, working environment, improved a bunch of things. Um, and then all this kicked off. So I'm kind of like, I timed that pretty well. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, we, we've had some discussions about this on Twitter. Sales are not great. I mean, they've gone down. We've had a bit of a resurgence in the last few days and stuff. But I can see, you know, for the stuff I sell, some of it might not be as relevant right now. Um, but, you know, we've done well enough. 
that uh, I'm in a good position to sort of kind of get through the next few months. So is it fairly steady otherwise? I mean, apart from, you know, the current global pandemic, um, is it fairly steady <laughs> sales or you see them moving in one direction? Um, you see, or what I see is sort of plateaus, like sometimes we'll go up and the level will plateau at a, another level and sometimes it will come down and it is seasonal there's a lot more stuff around about the os and device releases um in the the autumn uh and you know so we usually see a spike there especially if the, you know we've done something to get featured or some you know, technology adoption of new devices or something like that. So when and Apple ship the shiny new iPhone, folks go, oh, on a brilliant calculator or something like that. Well, uh, an astonishing Dice app on my iPad. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's stuff like, I'm trying to think of an example, but, you know, say Apple has some super new shiny technology that they're wanting to push. If you adopt said technology in your app and... Apple will go, well, look, this person has done the work. They've supported Siri, Siri shortcuts well, stuff like that. Then you're more likely to get on a short list of here are apps that are supporting this and get featured on the store. And if you do that, you know, the other thing is the press like to talk about, well, you know, here's new shiny things and here are some apps that do it. So that has been our kind of strategy um, for I mean, I use the strategy in quotes, but, you know, it's part of the, the kind of one thing that I'm known for, at least, is, you know, a new technology comes out. How can I crowbar it inside a calculator? So there you have, um, folks. If you listen to this right now and you want to know what is a, a killer tip for being featured, because let's face it, Peacock has been featured a heck of a lot over the years. Yeah. Right there. You see Apple AR kit, whatever it is, at CoreML comes out. Can you find a way to get that into app in a meaningful, productive way? And let them know about it. Yeah, rip off I mean, James. Uh, <laughs> it's not ripping off, and I, and I think a lot of this stuff, it's kind of you know, rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing. Um, you know, a healthy uh, app ecosystem of stuff. You know, it was like literally five minutes before we started recording, I sent a, a bit of code to another developer who was like, "Oh, how do you do this?" And I was like, "Well, here, here's the code I have. Here you go." And uh, I. I'm quite happy generally to do that kind of thing and try and sort of help people. Um, you know, I'm not going to give them all my code, but, you know, it, it, it's like ever since I started doing this, which was uh, quite a while ago, um, like when back in the, the sort of heady days when there were lots of uh, app launches, you know, when Drag Thing was uh, in, in its heyday, uh, I knew all the other people who were writing launches and we would swap, you know, codes and snippets and stuff. And it's like, how, how do you do this? How do you get the icon for this? And it's like, right. oh, here you go. And, you know, th there was never really that sort of, it wasn't like a competition. It was kind of like, yeah, we were all kind of competing with each other, but we were sort of trying to, to, um, be part of a community as well. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, if somebody started ripping me off, I would be quite unhappy. But, um, it, it's trying to, you know, trying to do, be nice. Yeah. So we've got a question here um, from folks watching this saying, is that a Star Wars collection in the background? And in the live stream, they can only see part of your collection. And it, and trust me, folks, I saw the full thing behind him. This man is a is a collector, a fine connoisseur. 
So on the wall behind me, which you can see some of, um, there are currently three uh, picture frames filled with minifigures. Uh, the one that you can see that's behind my shoulder is the Star Wars minifigures. Uh, in the far uh, left is the DC superheroes minifigures, and in the middle, it's Marvel minifigures. So... Uh, each one holds, I think it's about 120 figures. Uh, I have also just ordered three more of those frames. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the perks of working from home, presumably. Show them, show them the little cuddly toy you have just out of shot to your left, because it's, it's so topical in this current atmosphere. Um, okay, we have <laughs> the... Uh, this is Fine Dog that sits behind me um, and reminds me of uh, how fine it is. Yes. So speaking of um, being adopted by Apple and Proto in the App Store with adding things like AR or widgets or Siri shortcuts, whatever it is you've been working on, um, does that really make an impact, do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it has a number of impacts uh, or it has an impact in a number of different directions. Uh, one, if you get featured on the store, there is a sort of financial bump that you'll get to that in terms of sales. Um, and the bumps are not as big as they used to be. You know, it used to be the case if, say, there was like, I don't know, iOS 8 or whatever, and there'd be a section on the store that was like great apps for iOS 8, and it was 20 apps or something. If you got featured on that, that would sit around for, you know, weeks, and it was really high visibility on the store. Nowadays, there are features like that, and for us anyway, it's not as big, but it's still significant, and it's still something that's very nice. Um, and also, you get... Uh, there's other things like there's the app of the day, which we got once uh, a few years ago, which was very nice. Um, but when they do that, there's a story associated or there can be a story associated with your app. And then if anyone searches for your app, they'll see not only the the um, the actual app, but they'll see the story listed as well so they can click on that and they can get more information. And it's kind of like having a little editorial section of, on your app. Yeah, I guess as um, close as we can get to an Apple recommendation, presumably. Yeah, I mean there there are other things. There is an there is an editor's recommendation or something like that, which we've never got. Not that he's better, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean that there are there are things like that which kind of add to the store. But it also, uh, when you get something like that, it kind of um, it boosts your visibility slightly more in the in the surrounding community. So. You know, if say there was also like somebody writing a, a story about, um, you know, apps that use Siri shortcuts, one of the things they might do for research is look at this. If Apple's done a recommended list of apps, right, and so they might pick up on that. So you know, th there is absolutely no downside to getting featured, um, and uh, you know, th there's also no guarantee of getting featured, yeah. even if you do all this stuff, because there's still you know, millions of apps on the store. So it is kind of a, as an answer to the question, how do you get featured? I don't know because <laughs> I've never submitted my apps. Like, oh, so you're, you're not proactively talking to Apple. Like you're talking all reactively waiting for them to. It's sometimes. Occasionally I have talked to people at Apple. You know, sometimes somebody will reach out and you do get, there's a thing called a promotional artwork request which is the Apple is considering featuring you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and it, it's interesting because you get this thing and it's like, please, can you give us, you know, 
3,000 professional art assets and uh, logos and all this sort of stuff and uh, get it to us in, you know, five days, at which point you go, I I don't have any of those things. So I'm just going to spend the next five days trying to come up with artwork and screenshots and and all these things. Yeah, so folks haven't had one of those before. You get this request from Apple saying we want to feature you on the App Store, App of the Day or something. And they want to provide, you know, here's what the artwork should do. This this big for iPad, this big for iPad portrait, this big for iPhone in the same picture. It takes a, a bit of thinking to come up with some creative, useful, bright, colorful, attractive branding that would work I- for that. And it's things like, you know, here are the areas of the image that might have text on it. And here's where you should focus your imagery. And if you don't have like logos and, and things like that, it, it is quite a, a sort of a stretch to actually come up with things. And I mean, for a calculator as well, it's quite difficult other than, you know, having somebody standing at a blackboard covered in mathematical symbols. It's kind of hard to communicate much you know, um, so as as an indie developer, how much time do you spend? Do you think uh, adding new features versus adding bugs? Have you got a sort of structured, almost like Jira like board you'd get in a professional company, or are you just super chilled out? Um, it, it's I have I have systems. They're not necessarily as uh, sophisticated as you might think they are. Um, so. One of the things that I do um, is for each of my apps, and, and this is going to sound terrible, and I apologize to anyone who does project management, task management, <laughs> bug tracking. Don't worry. Anything. It's between you, me, and everyone else on YouTube ever, okay? That's it. Yeah. He, he, he glances at the number of people watching now and watches his career go on fire. Um, so I have basically a text document of notes for each app. And if I think of something, I write it down. If somebody emails me with something and says, here's a problem, I'll write it down in there. And the, the document's got various sections. So there's like a sort of, uh, you know, known bugs, kind of to-do, long-term to-do sort of ideas and things like that. And so I'll kind of, when I'm working on a new version, what I'll do is I'll sort of look at the things, the ideas that I've had and I've written down. I'll look at the things people have said or bugs and I'll try and come up with a sort of, here's a rough list of the things I would like to do for this release. And that obviously changes over time and as things come in. And if it's going to be just a bug fix release, then it's more of a case of like scan the, the stuff that's come up and the stuff that's come up a lot and, you know, prioritize those fixes, things like that. But I, it's not... Uh, you know, I don't have these extensive bug databases and, you know, tracking everything to right. a vast degree. It's more kind of at a, I mean, th- this is a step up from when I did all this on paper, which was up until like three or four years ago. So Okay. So it sounds um, like you've basically got one very large backlog. I just kind of going through that effectively. Yeah, I mean, there's for every app I've done, you know, uh, people email in and they have like... Uh, here are 13 ideas for your product and I'll go, I'll read through them and I'll go, oh, that's, a, that's actually a pretty good idea. That's a terrible idea, <laughs> you know, but I'll note them all down and kind of try and rank them and come up with, you know, it, there's ever, there's never a shortage of things to do. You know, even the dice app, which you think, oh, the dice app is really a simple thing. It's like 
that document is huge at this point because as soon as people start using it, they're like, oh, you know, it's really great for D&D, but it doesn't work very well with, I don't know, Shadowrun or some, some other game system. And it's like, could you do this thing or could you do custom dice? And it's like, that was one of the things that came up. It's like, could I do custom dice where you can put like any image or any text on the side of any dice? And it's like, well, that sounds fairly simple. You know, you just draw it on the side. Um, and it's not. And it took me like multiple steps of learning how to do something to, to even approach it. And like the last step was actually calculating stuff on the GPU to do the, the carving into the side of the dice. So today basically give it an image. And then from that, produce what's called a normal map right. which has the the kind of like shows where the dents Death are is, yeah yeah and to do that required learning about core image and doing core like chaining together a bunch of core image filters in a row to approximate what i'd been doing uh previously in photoshop and then all that runs on the GPU and finding out whether it's actually the performance is okay. And it was, and finding out how to optimize stuff. And, and, and so the, there was all these stages and then it's like, well, now you need to write a UI for putting custom text in or custom images in and stuff. Also, none of this code is shipped because I wrote it over the last two or three months. And currently the app store, uh, app review queues are who knows how long. long. Um, so it was sitting in a queue for about five days and then all the cursor stuff came out and I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to need to do some stuff. And I don't have the S cause they haven't released the, the GM X code yet. So you can't, and none of the APIs, so you can't really do much, but you can do some stuff with the hover things, which I was doing in the catalyst app, but, uh, I hadn't, I'd switched them off deliberately in the iOS app and it's like, well, now I need to switch them back on again. So um, that point really got away from me there. But it was it's a very long case. list of backlog is what you're saying. It's lots and lots yeah, of things. Yeah, it's a long list of backlog, and it and it it's kind of um, so I have all these ideas of things to do, and then it's it's a kind of what is a feasible amount of stuff to do in a release? Because I mean, you could sit there for a year working away on stuff, and that doesn't really help. You know, you might as well break it up into you know a, a series of smaller releases. Uh, and it's like, well, I'd like to do this in this release, or you start something and then you think, actually, this is way easier than I thought it would be, or this is way harder than I thought it would be. So, you know, either move this up in, in my schedule in my head or move it down again. Um, and I, I have a big text document of stuff that I want to do in PCALC, which has been around for ages. 20 years. Got this, <laughs> well, 28 years, if you want to count it. Um, and, uh, so, so with that stuff, it, it's, you know, th th there's, there's things in there, which are a simple one liner, like replace the entire maths library. And, uh, there's a lot to that. And it's like, well, <laughs> to get there, you know, I need to, I know I need to do the following sub steps. And it's like, so let's start working on those sub steps. And then, you know, to work on those, I'll need to do other things. And then it's. Hopefully, at some point, the big feature falls out. Um, so you've made basically a Jira epic in a text file, is what you're saying? 
Yeah. <laughs> and smaller milestones. We've got a question here from uh, 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 Yix. Is this pre-recorded? No, all that stuff about him taking his career on fire is totally live. He's making yes. something goes along. So, uh, yeah. yeah no, we're, we're, I'm sort of glancing at the stream out the corner of my eyes and uh, seeing somebody saying, uh, well, Peacock is older than me. Yeah, I get that a lot. And that's quite, <laughs> that's always disturbing. Um, well, the thing is, obviously it works. Because I'm thinking back. I've had it for quite a while. There's only been one very, very serious bug in that all that time. And that was the one with the, like, my donation thing got wiped somehow. And you fixed yeah. that, like, overnight. And you did a credit for, like, the something or other behind the scenes. But that was it. In all this time, that's the only major bug I can think about. So clearly it's working for you. Well, I mean, th there have been other bugs. I mean, I'm not going to lie. And it is a, it's a process. Like, there is a kind of a thing I always think about. Uh, you know, where people say that software is done or finished or whatever, and it never is. And it's like a point, like with Apple's OS releases, you know, they're working on them internally and they're sort of turning a build every week. And then they're trying to refine that process and get down to a point where they have something that they can ship and that will ship on time. Uh, sometimes they have problems with that, uh, as we all do. But, you know, it's like, when, as I said, with the... Um, with the supporting Apple's new features, the typical time you'll do that is when like iOS 13, 14, 15 or whatever roll out. Uh, so you have a deadline for those kind of releases, for the supporting new Apple stuff, big releases. Uh, that's a sort of line in the sand in September. And uh, usually, and we're not sure what's quite what's going to happen this year but you know the expectation will be sometime in june we'll probably get apple releasing beta versions of stuff and uh, new sdks and some of that might be rough but you can get an idea of what's uh what's possible or, or where they're going on things what's the direction of travel basically is what they're gonna try and give us. yeah and then, and then you're kind of like trying to match speed alongside them if you see what i mean and just sort of so you go over the finish line at the same point that they do. Yeah. And uh, that's that's often, a, especially last year, that was a very interesting process because there were a lot of things that I wanted to do, which uh, I didn't get to because of, you know, problems with the SDKs or functionality that Apple pulled at the last minute or, or whatever. So that there was, and just running out of time and life getting in the way, which life always does. Um and uh, yeah, it's, it's, so it, it's more, it, it's a very fluid process of, of trying to do these things. But it, because it's just somebody asked in the, in the chat whether, because I say we, uh, the we is myself and my wife. That is the, the entire company. Uh, and uh, my wife handles all the sort of businessy sides of things, you know, any, anything that involves money uh, and the like. And I just make all the dumb decisions and, you know, write the code and I do the tech support and things like that. But, but it is just the two of us. So what that I think makes it a lot easier because I'm not, if I have an idea for something, uh, something small, I can, you know, turn around and try it and implement it, see if it works and do that in a very rapid turnaround. And I'm not sort of waiting on collaborators or, you know, having a discussion as to whether the idea is good or not. Cause generally, you know, I have such an ego that I'll 
think of course the idea is good. Um, okay. I had a question and- here from um, Jason. Uh, he asks, uh, did Peacock start as a Mac app? Because today we know it's available on Mac OS, iOS, tvOS, and watchOS, even, even tvOS. Um, so it'd be great to know the evolution of that a little bit. But also, at this point, how much code you're sharing. I mean, presumably the, the core maths bit, the, one, the bit you want to tear out and replace with the new, the new maths library, that bit is shared, but large parts aren't. But I'd love to know more about that. Okay, so th- th- there is an interesting sort of lineage of, of through the code. Um, going way back, uh, when I was doing a computing science degree, uh, and this would be 91, 1991, um, one of the courses that I was doing was uh, user interface design. I have told this story in a number of places, so apologies to anyone who's heard it. But uh, one of our projects for the course was design in HyperCard, for those who remember HyperCard, a central heating control panel. So just the kind of thing that you would see where you would have the temperature, you know, you'd have some buttons to put the temperature up and down and maybe set it at a certain thing, turn it off and on, you know, kind of thing that you'd see on the wall, or at least before the advent of smart uh, thermostats and the like. And for that, I designed a bunch because i sort of over-engineer everything that I do, I designed a bunch of fake LCD graphics and buttons and things. So it looked like a a real one, or as real as it could be on a uh, one-bit 512 by 342 display. And uh, after that, I was we had started doing some Pascal programming, and we were using uh, originally Turbo Pascal and then Think Pascal. Uh, and all we were doing was kind of just basic, uh, you know, like processing text files levels of stuff. But I soon realized that the tools that we had had all the Mac libraries and APIs in them as well. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could make, you know, I, I, I'm pre- getting pretty good at doing the, the sort of low-level code. I wonder if I could make an app. And so I bought the Inside Macintosh books at the time and uh, sat down and just sort of read through them in the summer. And I was like, let's see if I can do this. And my test project was, I thought, well, I'll build a calculator because I've got these graphics that I did, these uh, this fake seven-segment LCD and these buttons, and I'll reuse them. And the easiest thing I can reuse them in is a calculator. So, so, and folks, quite li- so many folks, I think, will think, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do a quick calculator. And we do, and we stop there. <laughs> you're here 20 years later with the world's most advanced calculator for mac os and ios and similar i mean it, it was it was a it was a test project and it's always been a test project and it, it's been it was the small thing that i wrote as the first app to, to before i wrote the next app and i never really expected it to continue or to take off or whatever um but then like it's been rewritten about four or five times and so when, let me get the order of this right. So I did the first version and it was written in Pascal. I then hand translated the core engine of that from Pascal into C. And I wrote uh, C++ and PowerPlant, which was the MetroWorks Code Warrior user interface uh, uh, tool. I wrote, that, which was kind of a proto power, uh, proto interface builder type thing mm. where you do the interface in one tool. Um, and... 
Then I rewrote it again using Apple's HI Toolbox stuff, which came later on. Um, and that was the point where I had a Mac OS X version. And I used it as my making a Carbon app that would run on Mac OS X and Mac OS 9 at the same time. Uh, sometime along that timeline, the dashboard widgets came along. And for dashboard widgets, you could do a native code plugin. So what you could do is write the user interface in CSS and HTML, but have a back-end thing that did all the actual hard work. So I took the code that I had and I stripped out pretty much all the um, user interface and carbon-specific bits. And I had this uh, engine uh, and I put that in the, the widget. When the phone came around, I, I, and at this point, I'd not written any app kit or anything like that. I was purely doing carbon stuff. All carbon at the time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So when the, the, the phone came around, I was like, well, I need to learn how to do yeah, UI kit. And so I'm learning UI kit before I learned app kit. <laughs> okay. And uh, I thought, again, like all of this sort of reaching and finding the useful thing in your back pocket. I had this library, which was the the dashboard widget engine, which had no ties to the user interface from from Carbon, and it's like I can use that, and I can quickly write uh, right. a yeah. UI kit uh, wrapper around that, and that was what the first version of PCalc was, or first version on iOS, hmm. and then. What happened was that grew over time and I added more and more functionality to it, like things like the layout editing and um, a whole bunch of stuff. And so that engine grew and grew and grew. And I had this Mac version written in Carbon, which was running quite behind in like f functionality. And I was kind of iOS first at this point. So what I did then was I took the iOS app and I ported that to the Mac uh, way before uh, Catalyst or anything like this. Right. So you're, you're following along at home, yeah. the, the number of hops that this code <laughs> has made. Uh, and a lot of the stuff, because I was doing a lot of custom UI, it was effectively a case of you know swapping the UI views for NS views, wiring up some of the things different, and you know the preference window and a lot of that stuff is, is different code. But currently the case is a lot, like all the kind of, uh, pre, uh, underneath the UI is all the same code. The UI code has diverged, and that's why some functionality is in one and isn't in others. Like the layout editing, all the backend stuff is there. So like the Mac version can support a custom layout that you save and export from the iOS version and load into the Mac version. But I haven't rewritten the editing code right. on the Mac. Where this brings us to is Catalyst and technologies like that, if I can write the whole thing, or at least as much as I can in one place and have it running on the other place, that would be ideal. And that's what now the Dice app has become my test app. So the Dice app is where I'm tr experimenting with things. So I'm experimenting with Catalyst. I'm experimenting with sharing as much code as possible, experimenting with multi-window support, which isn't something that the current PCALC supports it used to support it on the mac and it now doesn't because the code that came from ios was effectively has it at its core is a dashboard widget um 
And the, the analogy that I've used a number of times, um, if anyone has seen the uh, film Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, I'm going to spoil the ending of Star Trek motion picture here. <laughs> it's it's but, what, 40 years old now, right? So I think possibly safe on that one. Um, the In that, there's the Voyager probe that was sent out from Earth has all these layers and layers of stuff built around it and has become this sort of sentient being roaming the galaxy. And that is exactly what the peak out code <laughs> is right now. Nice. So let's just briefly, you mentioned about... Uh, uh, iOS and macOS and Catalyst and uh, Domain Objects asking a question here which is very relevant right now about how we feel about the new curse support for uh, iOS coming it's landing now because you already work with this haven't you? you've already been noodling around with the hover stuff that uh, pop-up control you made so yeah are you looking forward to this functionality yeah I mean the, the hover stuff so when I was doing the Catalyst thing, uh, one of the things that came up was it would be really nice to have a pop-up button control that could display a menu. And I wrote it for the Catalyst app, but it actually proved to be quite useful. And I kind of tried to make it so that it would work well with touch and it would work well with a mouse. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of, it doesn't work perfectly in both sides, but it, it works enough that it was better than what I had. And for that, on the Catalyst side, they have the UI hover gesture recognizer which is just like you can move a mouse over something and you can see the mouse moving from uh from the code and it works a lot like a, all the other gesture recognizers so i may i wired that up for the catalyst side and now uh they've basically unlocked exactly the same functionality on on the ios side mm -hmm. so i literally just needed to go in and you know change an if def and all that code worked perfectly. So I got all that code that I did because I did it for Catalyst. It was for free. And any improvements that I now make on one side apply to the other side. Um, the other stuff that they are going to add, uh, which we haven't officially seen any of the APIs for, are really sort of visual things. You know, it's, it's kind of like the little effect when you move yeah, the cursor over. It in and goes around. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And and all that is really cosmetic, and that doesn't, as far as we know so far, they're not planning on wiring that up on the Mac side on Catalyst. Um, at least there's been no sign of it so far, but, you know, who knows? Uh, and so, you, like, today, you can do all of this stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, if you think of it like the functionality and the cosmetic side separately, you can get all all the functionality of mousing over and clicking on things and doing stuff. You can get that working right now nicely. Um, and then you can pretty it up when, when we get the final APIs. I mean, the Dice app that is currently sitting in app review, that I just un I just re- uh, exposed all the all these uh, things that I was using in the Catalyst app. And it works really well. Um, and once we get the final SDK, I will stick another build in the queue once I've had a chance to officially play with those APIs. <laughs> I have played with them because, you know, the usual suspects have been uh, messing around with them and seeing what they do. STS. Also, I saw um, uh, Peter Steinberger doing a great job of figuring it out behind the yeah. scenes, just basically uh, digging so until it worked, basically. So, you know, that that's another example of people in the community helping each other. It was a case of like, I was like, so how does this API work? And, you know, somebody will say, oh, you know, try this. Then it was a case of just sort of messing around. I mean, you can do the basic stuff really simply. Um, it's just if you've ever used the 
drag and drop uh, uh, interactions which you can add to views, mm. um, then uh, it, it's the same kind of thing. And you just create these pointer interaction things and you can set some properties on them. And that's probably enough to make it look quite nice. And then there's more stuff you can do to control cursor shapes and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I've got stacks of other questions for you, but before I move on, there's one thing particularly I, I can't avoid asking about, which is the about screen, which is <laughs> which is an application all all by itself, right? It's a remarkable thing. If folks haven't seen it before, it's a it's a what is it, James? Like a playground of three D so, scene kit love? Yeah. So so what this was, this came out of. Um, Everything I do in my apps generally is how can I learn something new? And I think that is a great thing to try and do if you can is like, you know, I say adopting these APIs because they're new and you might get featured out of it. That is one sort of uh, axis of this. But learning a new thing is always good. And I'd done some 3D graphic stuff back at university a long time ago on like SGI work sessions. And uh, I hadn't really done anything since that point. And there were a lot of rumblings that Apple was looking at AR in a big way and possibly looking at AR in a big way because of future products, you know. So whether you're going to be wearing AR glasses in a few years' time, who knows? We, um, but it seems like Apple's investing more heavily in AR than is justified by what they're currently doing with AR. Uh <laughs> And, you know, we, we've seen leaks of there are products in the works and whether these things actually make it to a product, like an actual product is still an open question. But, you know, they're clearly working on something. So I started with that as a I would like to learn about doing AR. You know, how does one start with that? And it's like, well, best way if you're going to be on Apple platforms to do that is to use SceneKit as your 3D engine. Because Apple's done a lot with SceneKit. It's a very high-level object-oriented thing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, make a box, put it here. That box has, you know, this weight, these physics properties, you know, now run everything and a physics engine will run it and and things like that. And I was like, okay, this, this seems fun. Um, and this, uh, you'll, people who have seen the talk that I did on Easter eggs, will know that part of my attraction to all this stuff was uh, some of the 3D things that were in Apple's little Easter eggs in the OS going back into the 90s. And I wanted, my, my goal was, can I make a 3D version of the icon for my app, which is just sitting in the uh, about screen, which you can move around. And I had been doing some stuff that summer with making alternative app icons like I got into this thing of like, I did a few alternative app icons and people liked them. So I did more of them and then I did more of them and peak out currently are something like 48 alternative app icons that you can pick. And part of that I started, well, how can I do different ones? Cause I'm not an artist. I'm not very good at it, but um, I can mess around with stuff in the 3d software package right. and, until it looks nice, you know, make it look Chrome, shine a nice light on it, that, that kind of thing. So what I did was, as part of that, I had a 3D model of the icon, which I had built. And I was like, well, let's take this, let's import this, we'll put it in the uh, in the scene kit, uh, scene file. And it's like, hmm, I now have a thing, I can move a light, I can, you know, shine a light on it and have a light that's sort of circling this icon. 
And then I was like, well, let's play with it. You know, well, there's a physics engine. What happens if I assign physics to this, to these objects? And it's like, what if I had other objects? And it's like, ah, oh, what's an interesting object? Bananas are an interesting shape. <laughs> what happens if you threw a banana at this icon? And it's like, oh, it bounces off. This is quite good. What happens if you drop 500 bananas on it? And it's like, <laughs> the performance is terrible. Why is the performance terrible? You know, and, and kind of, it was an exploring because I didn't have any real background in 3D graphics or, you know, performance optimization of 3D stuff. And it was like, I basically worked my way through the scene kit APIs and I was like working through them. And then it's like, oh, there's a vehicle API. Like you can take a model, you can say, these are four wheels and you can spin the wheels and you can turn the wheels. And it's basically, you have a little car and it's like, what if I put a little car in this? And then I put a little car in it and you could drive it around. It's like, Okay, what happens if I put a ramp? You know, I could build a ramp in a 3D graphics package. You know, it's just a you know a triangle extruded out. So I built a ramp and I drove the car at it. And the car like jumped into the air and did this sort of real magnificent jump. And I thought, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and it was just the, that kind of, and that's where it led to like, well, let's make a little assault course so that this car can drive around and jump through hoops. And then if you delve deeper into the about screen, there's a whole city that you can drive around in <laughs> and there's a castle. And then it was like, I wonder if I could make my own like thing. So I said, well, let's try and make a helicopter. And it's like, how do you make the physics engines for a helicopter? And it's like, well, let's think of it not like a helicopter. Let's think of it like a quadcopter. Like, let's take this thing and mount four virtual sort of thrusters underneath it. Could I do something like that that auto-balanced itself? And that's an interesting problem to try and solve. And it's like, so I made a... Is it, I mean, this is not a physically accurate simulation of a helicopter by any means, but it was a fun thing to try and, like, do this. And the, the Sinkit APIs are really nice. Um, I enjoy them a lot in the kind of stuff that you can do. And it, it was just a, a process of go through the APIs, look at each section of it. Um, the Ray Wenderlich site has a ton of really good tutorials on Sinkit, and I, I worked through a lot of those, and it was like how do I do this? How does this work? And and so for each thing, it was kind of like, learn how to do this thing. And then that worked into, let's try and do a bit of it in AR. And I did some AR stuff and it's dumb, but it was like, you know, let's make a, let it, so you can write your name in the air and then move around it and look at it. And it was like, well, but it's kind of, it's fun to play with. Um, well, it's fun and, for us to play with for sure, and presumably you're enjoying making it, which is why you're exploring further and further and further. Yeah, and, and it was, it, 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 but all of it is a, is a, it's a. I'm trying to learn something. I'm going to learn, and I'm going to post videos of me learning because if you followed me that summer, you saw me slowly losing my mind as I gradually <laughs> posted more and more videos of like, and now there's a car, and now there's this, and um, I got a review on Mac Stories. I think. It, I can't remember if it was John or Federico, I think it was John, actually reviewed the About screen that year. Like, it wasn't a review of of uh, PCALC. It was a, just a straight standalone review of the About screen for my calculator. And I thought, you know, you couldn't buy publicity like that. <laughs> so someone asked I, I, in the chat here, Josh Holt is asking, are you still 
secretly adding more things to the about screen? Is it still a, a work of production? Um, so what happened out of that, um, and, and it, a lot of this stuff, it's like previous things feeding into next things. So uh, last year, um, Mike Hurley and a bunch of people wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, there's a The Incomparable, which is a podcast network run by Jason Snell, uh, has a podcast on it called Total Party Kill, where a bunch of people sit and play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and it, it's mostly people around the sort of, it's friends of Jason's, but it's also uh, people in the sort of uh, Apple community. I mean, we have, we had Tiff Armour and people like that. And uh, they wanted to do UK version. So I, I had played D&D in my youth. And so I was roped into this. Uh, roped in is too strong a word. I, I jumped at the chance because I haven't played D&D uh, longer than many people in the chat room have been alive. And indeed, as it turned out, how long Mike had been alive because Mike was younger than the last time I had played D&D. So uh, as part of that, we were going along doing stuff. And I think we'd recorded our first episode. And I'd been messing around with uh, all these 3D physics things. And Jason said, I'm surprised you haven't done like a dice app or, or some, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was kind of something that my brain went, hmm, because I did have dice in the about screen, just normal six-sided ones. And I was like, well, how difficult could it be? You know, so I prototyped it in the about screen. So you could then drop uh, polyhedral dice of various shapes and it would tot up what the results were. And I was like, I could do something like this. So I gave myself a week to make a new app from hitting new project using all the the um, skills that I'd learned and pretty much none of the code. And then could I make a dice rolling app? And I got it from new project to shipping on the store in two weeks, which was pretty good. I mean, I had a prototype that was working basically in a week and I thought, well, I'll ship it in two weeks. And that is kind of the about screen. The about screen has escaped from PCALC and my knowledge and my playing with stuff has gone into that. Um, and I mean, I should point out the about screen got to the point where I actually hired a composer who did music for Whoa. the about screen. Um, it, it got a bit silly, but anyway. So um, someone's asked in the chat window um, uh, about uh dice and about the about screen they all seem to love it very much it looks like um someone's also asked why i keep looking around the screen um what you can't see folks this is a live stream i'm asking these questions to james he's answering live and i've got uh, skype recording i've got chat window i've got our video screen i've got uh, audio levels going on i've got all sorts going on the thing it's, it's quite a lot to take care of right now um but with dice particularly that is a great example of where you can sell your byproducts like for example, yes. when I'm when I'm writing about SwiftUI, I'm writing about uh, how to do cool things in SwiftUI. Along the way, I'm figuring things out. How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Do, do, do. And all I do is I take those things and make them articles, really short articles. How do I do this thing in SwiftUI? Here is how I've done it. Literally, here is the exact code I just wrote to solve the problem. I might have refactored it many times. It was broken at the beginning yeah. with, but and it becomes a new online resource. And it, it was never planned to be that way. It just kind of became that way. And DICE is that. You had this wonderful yeah. advanced AR, not AR, it's a scene kit system, plus an extraordinary passion for trying things out. And it became its own product. 
Yeah, and and that's what a lot of the stuff when I was learning things in uh, for the about screen and with Scene Kit, it was like I never took anything out. You know, all the little experiments and things like how do I build a helicopter? You know, there's a helicopter at the bottom right hand corner of the map. If you go find that, you can fly it around. <laughs> look for these things now. <laughs> um, and and it was a it was like just ship it all. You know, even if it's silly, even if it's like well, there's a castle and there's a panda wearing a crown at the center of the castle. Just put it, just put it in because I occasionally I get an, a message from somebody who's been using Peacock for years and who has stumbled like, and has somehow missed the whole about screen thing and has stumbled into it and has spent several hours just falling down this rabbit hole nice. of things. And they emerge kind of blinking into the light and, and that's a wonderful feeling because I did that with about screens a long time ago. And if I can sort of inspire somebody to do something silly or uh, whatever, it, it's, it's, I wouldn't say paying it forward because it's more like unleashing a curse on future generations. <laughs> but, you know, and with the dice stuff, it was like using that knowledge to come up with a product that might actually be useful to somebody because the, the dice not useful at all but sorry the, the about screen is not useful but the dice app people are actually buying it and using it um and uh but it, it a lot of it is also learning stuff and with the dice it's like um say apple introduces a new uh, way of doing lighting or materials or like they did reflections which was something that appeared in ios 13 so you could have two uh two metal dice next to each other that mm. um reflect off each other and it's it's a great playground for that the other thing with dice and with the about screen i mean i started the about screen um in 2016 and as you may remember 2016 wasn't a great year and uh i mean unlike 2020 <laughs> unlike 2020 which is going <laughs> great uh but the point of that was it was an escape uh, and it was, uh, I want to do something fun. I want to do something that is going to occupy my brain. I want to do something that is going to help my mental health. And a lot of this stuff is kind of um, finding ways to, and this will feed back into the whole conversation about working for home and indie life and working for yourself. And it's like, how do you stay sane doing all this stuff? Um some may argue that I've skirted those boundaries <laughs> quite a bit, but but dice is is that as well. It's like you know the last month has been pretty difficult for a lot of people, myself included, and uh, it, it's nice to have some something that I can play with, that I can do stuff with. That's not like I mean, dice is a, a small part of our uh, income stream. Uh, it's a nice part, you know, it's, it's not nothing, but it, it's, you know, uh, it's very small. And the amount of work that I spent on it recently does not, you know, that's not in proportion to the amount of money it makes. It's more in proportion to how fun it's been. Uh, and working on something that can make me a bit happier or, you know, take my mind off stuff. You know, there's different bits of code will work in different ways for me. And like 
one thing that I can do now, which is a silly thing, is like I can design a new set of dice, you know, just the textures and the, you know, so it's like, oh, it's like a nice set of wooden dice with a little sort of metallic silver inlay on them and things like that. And it's like, that'll take me half an hour or an hour or something to do that. But I can sit down. There's a little thing I can do. It's a very small self-contained thing. And then I have a, a, a a new set of dice that I can put in the app. But it, it's something that can take my mind off stuff and de-stress me and is a very kind of, you know, there's, there's people who will sit down, and I do this too. One of the things I find in video games right now, um, and I've, I've found this for a long time, so, I mean, it's not just related to current stuff, is there's games that let you build something, you know, whether it's The Sims or... You know, in I played a lot of Fallout 4 had things where you could build bases. So you got an area of land and you could sort of just, it's like Lego, virtual Lego, really. Or people who uh, play No Man's Sky and are building, you know, these highly elaborate sculptures and, and all sorts of things. It's that kind of same itch of, uh, here's something that I can control 100%. I can sit down and I can build a thing. And at the end, I will have a thing. And while I'm doing that, I'm not thinking about the world. You know, I might have a podcast on in the background or something, but I'm, I'm kind of, there's something about that act of creation and those kind of games and this stuff as well, where it, it's, uh, it's really nice, you know, mm. it's, it's a nice thing to do and it, it's a fun escape. And, other code doesn't work that same way. Like when I'm working on PCALC, you know, at some points PCALC feels like a job. You know, it's, it's a proper job. You know, you, you sit down, here are the things that I need to do. Here are the things that people are expecting me to do. I have to make these deadlines. I have to do this. Um, you know, th there's a sort of a bunch of stress involved in that. Um, you know, especially when I don't manage to do the thing that I want to do. Uh, in a particular time frame, like last year, last summer, there was like three or four major items that I wanted to get done. And I couldn't get them done in time, so I had to ship what I had. Um, and so th there's like, I try and think of it as recreational coding versus, you know, work coding. Um, and, you know, coding is also still my hobby as well as my work. So a lot of the dice stuff I've been doing in the evenings, you know, um, so I'll work on peak out during the day and I'll work on dice in the evening. Nice. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's a nice way to unwind. And it's a, it's a working on something where there isn't an economic pressure associated with it or a business pressure because, you know, people are playing D and D with this. It's not life or death. Um, some of the peak out things people, some of the things people use peak out for are life and death. Um, Somebody wrote to me telling me how they were using it to calculate um, uh, anesthesia amounts for children. <laughs> and you think, I don't want to get that wrong. And you still want to consider replacing your maths library one day. That's that's super brave. <laughs> well, that, that that's partially why it's not happened. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I need to do in terms of adding a lot more unit testing and stuff so that I know if I make a change to the low-level stuff, it's all still good yeah. or better. Um, and yeah, there are things like that where it's like, it kind of stops and makes you think, 
I mean, there are people I know who have, who bought PCALC, and this was a while ago, at the um, facility at the United States that uh, constructs and maintains the nuclear arsenal. <laughs> you know, I, 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 so you have two ends of that. There's like nuclear weapons and the health of children. That Those are pressures that are can get a little bit... Um, disturbing so dice is nice and low stakes you know uh, unless i find out that people are using dice to make you know serious uh, decisions <laughs> but i don't want to know but it, so it's a it's, fun it, thing it's hard for folks who are just now uh working from home for the first time because they're, they're enforced to you know mm. a lot of folks are yeah self-isolating or quarantined or stay-at-home orders whatever it happens to be and they're at home now trying to do their job at home for the very first time and I think for many of them, they're finding it very hard. They're anxious, they're worried and, and similar. And it's great to hear you say you feel the same way. Even though you've been doing it for a long time, this current period, this coronavirus, yeah. COVID-19 mess is not normal. It's really not how it no, normally is. No, I mean, like, I have the working from home stuff down perfect. Well, I say perfectly. That's not true. But, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years successfully. So, you know, that's good. But I'm finding it really hard to work right now. You know, even with the perfect setup with this new wonderful desk, I, I've got an app. I can make my desk go up and down with an app. It's brilliant. Um, and I have, I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, you see the Star Wars uh, figures behind me. What you can't see in front of me is I have a whole bunch of signed comic book art signed by uh, artists that I really like. And so I've created this little, little workspace, which is, you know, Anywhere I look, you know, there's nice things. I've got some of my old childhood space Lego sitting on a shelf right there. I've got a, a bunch of like um, Wonder Woman figures and Harley Quinn figures, and there's a Star Wars section. You know, so I, I got rid of what my shelves were covered in like old Apple developer discs, and that was what I saw from my desk. And I was like, why do I have 20 year old developer discs? There's no point to this. I think I sent them all to Steve Trott Smith, as it turned out. But, and then I replaced it all with nice stuff. So um, I have, yeah, thanks, BB Edit. I don't want to install an update right now. Um, I've, uh, I've got all this stuff around me. I've made this perfect working environment, or as perfect as I can do it. Um, and still, I'm finding it incredibly hard to work. You know, to actually sit down and do my what is real my day to day job, um, because there's just so much going on, and it's like, and it, you know, in the UK we are as we're recording this, we're on day one of uh, lockdown or full lockdown, um, and there's a, there's scary stuff happening, and there's going to be scary stuff happening for a while. So anyone out there who hasn't done working from home. And, you know, and is thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not doing this right because I'm finding it really hard to focus or whatever. I'm finding it really hard to focus as well. You know, I, so I'm messing around with the dice app right now because it's like, go to my comfort place. Yeah. You know, this is, this is like the sort of sitting, eating pizza and wine gums and whatever <laughs> of uh, development. Um, and, uh, it, it's uh, there's people who are like working from home and they have a family around them. They have kids who are now studying from home 
as well or not studying as the case may be and there's people don't have the right you know the right uh, computers or setup or maybe they've got one computer and the kids need to use it for their schoolwork and they need to use it for doing their job and it's not a perfect environment but even if you have the perfect environment don't feel bad right now that you are having trouble focusing because everyone is and you know there's a lot of people out there you know not a lot of people talk about mental health and and things like that and there's a lot of aspects of that for working for yourself and working from home and uh it's gonna take a lot of people a lot of time to adjust even in the best circumstances and we're probably way far away from best circumstances right now Mm. Uh, not, not to get too heavy about things but you know it's more to say to people cut yourself a break because it it's gonna be hard and you know if it takes you you know weeks or months to get into the the mode where you can actually work um that's there's you know that's normal um i mean there are things you can do i mean that's one of the things we can talk about is in terms of how to create a good environment for working from home. I mean, the, the, one of the things that I do, uh, which I'm luckily able to do, is um, we have one of the rooms of, of our uh, flat or apartment, if you're an American, um, is uh, an, our office. It's also the spare room where people come and stay if we have guests. But, you know, so it's got a fold-out bed, but it has two desks in it. And, that, and so we, we know generally if we're in this room, we're working right and if we're in another room we're not working so there's a clear division between your home life and i am now at the actual job now it might be dice but it's still working yeah and and those lines get blurry and you know i will sit on the sofa in an evening and i'll be answering tech support emails or something like that things that are low stress or or whatever um but i i i also i don't have any social media or anything on my uh, iMac, which I'm sitting in front of now. And all of that is on uh, my 2015 MacBook Pro, which is uh, got all my email and all that stuff on it. So I can sort of, I know that if I'm sat in front of this computer, this is this is work time. And my brain is reasonably good at, at doing that. And yes, it's, I, I can do that because I have the space to do it and I have two separate machines. But there are things that you can do. You could have like two accounts on your machine Mm. if you only have one machine or you could have accounts for the kids and things. And you could have a, when I'm logged into this account, this is work. Or um, just setting yourself um, hours of the day is is another thing. You know, if you can say it is 10 o'clock, I am going to work and then I'm going to have a break from, you know, 12 to one and then I'm going to work from one to five or whatever it is. And I'm going to try and not work outside those hours. And I'm going to try and not, you know, sit on Twitter talking about nonsense or reading about uh, pandemics incessantly, which I've certainly not been doing for the last few weeks. Um, and, just try and have that sort of separation is is really helpful for your brain and uh uh noise cancelling headphones are great if you're in an if you can afford them and if you're in an environment where there's noise of other people um 
yeah, I've been using the AirPod uh, Pro noise cancelling uh, for my kind of desk work just now. I don't have any uh, full over-ear noise cancelling headphones, um, but those are really helpful in getting you that focus if you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I know it's difficult for a lot of people because, you know, if you have kids running in and running up to you, that's uh, it's hard. And there might be a period of trying to explain to them that, you know, just cause, you know, mummy or daddy is here does not mean that, you know, this is the weekend or whatever. And if you can do it, you know, signs on the door or something, some kind of indication to other people that, uh, you know, the, the equivalent of a do not disturb sign. Yeah. And it's, it's not going to be enforced, enforceable a hundred percent of the time, but, uh, especially if you're in the house by yourself and you have kids there, it's that's obviously not as easy to do. Um, but th- there are there are things that you can do to kind of like having a nice environment around you, as I was saying. That sounds is, really is critical, it, doesn't it? Because you've got you've mentioned you know uh, this this Mac or this desktop or this user is my work user. These time frames or this. A room in my house. So really, it sounds like getting the right environment. So you are in work mode. This is work time now. It's, it's pretty core. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some people, um, like some of the BBC correspondents, who have set up little workstations inside a wardrobe. You know, because it's got good sound qualities, so they can sit in there with a microphone and they can do things and uh, recording. Um, you know, the, you can you can be creative with things. Um, yeah. You could like, if you've not got multiple rooms, you could like rope off one section of your room in some fashion, you know, stick a clothesline up in somewhere and put a blanket across it. And it's like, you know, this is the living room. This is the office. And and just sort of try and subdivide it. Yeah. The, Certainly the it sounds like the having a different user on your Mac is almost like the modern day equivalent of the old you know, um, don't work from home in your dressing gown or something, you know, actually get dressed like you really mean it, you know? I mean, th- that is an important part as well. Like, like, don't sit around in your pajamas all day. Don't work in your pajamas. Yeah, I'm not saying that you have to be wearing a suit and tie. Um, you know, I, I'm wearing a, a nice uh, Dice-related T-shirt here. Um, <laughs> but... You know, I, I'm wearing comfortable uh, sweatpants on the bottom of the stream that you can't see. Um, it, but it's like, don't, you know, make it make some effort, you know, wash all, all of these things that are kind of <laughs> seem like they should be obvious. But but have that sort of, um, you know, make an effort for yourself kind of thing is, is important. And uh don't don't have snacks at your desk is another one. I've seen folks you know, who have switches at their desk, like Nintendo switches. I'm like, how do you do that? I I couldn't do that. I I'm too easily distracted with a switch being right there. Yeah, I mean, having like just because you have access to all the entertainment devices in your house, and like Disney Plus launched here today, um, and so I've just instantly got another thousand billion hours of content, <laughs> um, but. Just because you have all that stuff, don't don't bring it into your work environment. Um, the snack stuff is more a long term thing. Like I put on a ton of weight 
like after I started doing this, um, because, you know, one of the things, especially now it's harder to get out, but, you know, uh, working from home, you're not moving as much. So you're effectively sedentary lifestyle. If you eat whatever you want, you'll start to put on weight. And I did that over a period of, well, I, I, I good 18 years or something. And it's only in the last couple of years that I've kind of been trying actively more to keep that under control. And I did buy myself an exercise machine, which is sitting in the living room gathering dust as we speak. Um, and I'm trying, I'm going to try and work that into my loose schedule um, to get more exercise. I mean, we can still go outside, but um, but if you sit and eat anything, you it's going to be bad for your system. And sitting in a chair all the time is also bad for your system. As anyone who does it, you know, e- even in an office knows. Um, so looking after your health, getting up. I mean, these are these are more longer term things, but it, it it's all important. And I think you know, exercise and stuff has been proven to have an effect on mental health. Yes. Um, so if you let any of this stuff to start to slide, it can snowball and, you know, it all starts to affect each other. Um, even in, as we've been saying, even in the best possible situation that you're in and we're not in the best possible situation. So Um, certainly I, I found that, you know, under normal circumstances, if I'm doing some research or some experimentation, I can work really hard on a thing for a day or two and it ends up being a dud. Right, it, it gets nowhere. It didn't pan out like I yeah. planned. It's, it's just not fast enough, no matter how I optimize it, whatever it is, it's just not going to work. And th- those suck under normal circumstances, but I'm, I'm seeing more of them right now because normally if I hit a wall, if I get stuck, I think, okay, I'm going to take a break. Uh, I'll go for a bike ride or I'll have a nap, something to try and break the, you know, the, the blockage mm. of my brain. Um, but right now when I have my breaks, I don't nap. I check the news and right now it's the, the worst most destructive thing for my mental health i think right now is to check the news because it's really grim out there and going to get worse uh and so i'm not getting those those uh speed bump removing devices i normally rely on like naps and similar i don't have them so much right now because i'm anxious about everything else so i get more off days where i get nothing done or i've tried hmm. and still haven't the show for it yeah, and, and I've done that too. And I, I've sat and I was like, well, let's work on this feature and I'll work on it for two days and I'll get to the end of it. And it's like, this isn't going to work, you know, because I've discovered some limitations or something about my approach wasn't right. But, you know, this is a dead end. Um, and I mean, that that is a general thing of working for yourself in indie stuff. There is going to be experimentation which doesn't get anywhere. Mm. You know, it's not, you know, I said ship everything, but of course I didn't ship everything. I shipped the things that were fun. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it is hard to, I mean, one thing I've been doing, like I've built up this huge backlog of books and, you know, like comics and, and things like that. And it's like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just take some time to read one of these things, you know, try and do that once a day because i've got this big stack of them which have been you know christmas and birthdays people buy you things and it's like well let's sit down you know take some time out and you know not spend the time looking at social media or you know watching uh messages to the nation and that sort of stuff let's let's find some distraction you know and that's not you shouldn't feel guilty for that no at all um, I mean, with all this stuff, you shouldn't feel guilty. 
there is a point, you know, if you're just lying around in your pajamas eating ice cream and you're supposed to be doing a day job, <laughs> you know, th- th- there is there is a, another extreme to it. But you know, y- you should kind of uh, treat yourself. You know, um, you know, we we managed to get out to the the supermarket to do like basically a couple of weeks worth of uh, supplies because we're not planning on going out at all as much as we can. And it was like, I'm going to buy the chocolate biscuits. I wouldn't normally buy the chocolate biscuits, but, you know, I think I deserve a chocolate biscuit every now and again. And it's stuff like that. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, and we're in a great position now where a lot of the stuff we can get is digital. So, you know, if you want a new game for your Switch or you want a film or you want a comic or, or something like that, there are ways to get all this stuff as well. So, you know, take advantage of, of that stuff. And it's like, if you're thinking, oh, I should have always played so-and-so game, you can play it in moderation, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, so listeners, um, I'm telling this direct listeners here, honestly, take care of yourselves. Do not feel guilty about having zero days or more timeouts or more breaks or more ice cream, whatever happens to be that works for you. Particularly right now, it is stressful. Please take care of yourselves. Now, there's a few more questions from the live stream here because a large number of streaming in and I wanted to have a, a, a taste of those really fast, see what we can get through. Uh, one here from, it looks like a total guy. Uh, I'm curious, do you think Apple might use WWDC 2020 to really produce a decent online conference experience? Since first release of iTunes U, nothing much new has happened. So uh, Apple haven't got a particularly um, glorious history of online services, I think, let's put it that way, um, and doing a whole conference, presumably with some sort of lab something, we're not quite sure what. That's a real step up for them, I think. How do you think it's going to pan out? I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, one of the things that's happened in the last couple of weeks is uh, Google cancelled even its online uh, stuff. So we might be at a situation where we don't get WWDC. No, don't I mean, say that. Don't say that. It's Christmas. Don't say that. I mean, it doesn't mean that stuff might not um, get released or information. Like, because we had all the stuff in 13.4, which is kind of like stuff that we would have got at WWDC. And we might just get a gradual rollout of functionality over the year. Uh, that's one possibility. Um, and I have no knowledge of what Apple are planning. But, you know, even putting together a good online thing might be hard in the current situation. And if everybody's working from home, you can do some stuff. I mean, you can certainly do like slides with voiceover. Mm. That's, you know, you could do that to the professional quality that Apple has done their talks before, uh, you know, very nicely polished and presented. Um, uh, but, you know, we might not get the slick video uh, talks and things like that. Uh, I'm interested in seeing what they do and what they can do. Um, but, you know, as we're saying, like with our mental state and stuff, it's going to be the same for all the people at Apple who are currently trying to put all this stuff together and not just put together talks and, and conf- virtual conferences and things, but finish off operating system features. And like we were talking about it before, like app review is running quite slow at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. about at least a week more than normal. And, you know, under normal circumstances, I'd be, you know, on Twitter grumbling and saying, oh, 
Apple terrible. And I'm just thinking like all these app review people who, you know, are, it should be pointed out, people are under the same kind of situations that we're in. Mm. And they might not be working well. And they've got backlogs and they're dealing with family and they're dealing with other stuff. So I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't want to like set the expectations super high for this, that this is going to be the slickest, most innovative distance learning, whatever thing, because it might not be. It might be that Apple doesn't have the cycles to do that. I, I mean, what I hope is that it at least starts them thinking about this. Mm. And, you know, maybe we don't get the, the, the full rollout of what they would like to do this year. Maybe we get it next year because I mean, I, I would hope that, you know, even if the world has gone back to complete normality, that, uh, this kind of stuff and, you know, making things more available to people around the world is good for Apple. It's good for the developers. Um, you know, putting that extra effort into it would be beneficial for everyone. Yes. Um, so a question but, here from TXRX who asks, uh, what are your thoughts about Swift UI? Is it the future of iOS development? Is it going to replace UI kit anytime soon? What do you think, James? I, uh, I think the answer to that is probably yes and probably not. Um, <laughs> I think it's the future. I don't think it's the future in the next two years. You know, is it the future in five years? Probably. Is it the future of 10 years? Possibly, you know, it, it's or possibly and probably switch right there. Um, I don't know. And, you know, uh, right now, you know, there's some people doing really nice stuff with it. Um, there's some rough edges to it. There's some stuff where you have to break out to, you know, UI kit or app kit or whatever. Mm. Um, the same is true of Catalyst uh, in, in some ways. Uh, I think it will be interesting to see what gets announced this year because, you know, there's been, I don't want to say they've had another year to work on it because they, they haven't, you know, especially in the last month or whatever. I think plans will have gone out the window for a lot of things. But it'll be interesting to see, especially to both of Catalyst and UI and, and Swift UI, where it looks like the investment has been in terms of time because I think that will be an interesting signifier like if we see sort of a whole load of new catalyst stuff and a whole load of new swift ui stuff then i think apple is kind of these are both good ways of doing things and you know you pick what works for you and i think that's true of a lot of things if you're starting a brand new project and you're thinking two years ahead on it maybe swift ui is the place to start on that if you have a lot of existing code base you know, if you're looking at doing a Mac app, Catalyst is a good thing. Yes. Um, there's there's no one size fits all and nothing works perfectly. Um, you know, if you had infinite time, you know, for these things, it's right, you know, write a bespoke app from scratch on all your platforms, but not everybody has that time. I'm certainly um, curious to see how SwiftUI advances relative to UIKit because... Yes. You know, at this point, SwiftUI is quite a long way behind UIKit in terms of support. You know, there's no text use, there's no collection views, there's no attributed strings and and, and similar. And that's going to change, presumably, that in DubDub 
20, they're going to say, here's now collection views, here's text views or similar. But UIKit's not sitting still, right? UIKit's going to move no. forward as well. And will SwiftUI be where UIKit was last year or where UIKit is this year? Are we always going to be sort of one release behind or are they sort of slowly closing the gap? I just don't know. Yeah, and I mean, another interesting thing might be, you know, maybe not this year, maybe next year, if Apple rolls out um, AR uh, devices, you know, what are the SDKs going to be like for that? You know, is it going to be some UI kit variant um, or is it going to be something that they thought through, you know, like um, 3D Swift UI, if you see what I mean? <laughs> some, you know, so you can, you can imagine something along those lines kind of. Yes. Um, uh, and that, I mean, it's clearly it's, they're not putting all this effort in for nothing. It's something that they think, you know, it's like Swift itself. It was, it was like, here is a thing we have made. We believe this to be the future, you know, and Swift, what are we at? Five years, six years? About that, yeah. Something like that. You know, we've seen the, the, that evolving over time and becoming, you know, you know, if somebody said on year one, year zero, are you going to write your rewrite your app in Swift? People would go, no. <laughs> you know, some people would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, some people would. But, you know, it, it's not, the, the, the value proposition wouldn't have been as, you know, good then. Mm. But if you say to somebody now, are you going to write your app in Swift? If you're writing a new app, yeah, you know, almost certainly. Yes. So I think there's going to be that process for Swift UI as well. And and a candidly, I am not doing either of those things. Um, I have an awful lot of Objective C. I mean, I, as I said, like Peacock still has some uh, routine names in it, which are the same as they were from the original Pascal version. You know, there are variable names and there are things which are the same as the Pascal. So I, you could say I'm slow to adopt and some things and quick to adopt other things. But uh, with the Dice app, it was a case of, I want to do this thing in a week. I c I've done a certain amount of Swift. Uh, you know, I can read Swift, um, but I wouldn't say I'm fluent in it. Mm. So it was the easiest thing for me to do was to write it in Objective-C. Um, and it, it's, uh, and also Swift UI, I mean, all the stuff that I'm doing is 3D. So Swift UI doesn't really fit into that world as much, although you can use it for the interface things. Yeah. Um, but, I, I'm I'm sort of I'm taking a a wait and see approach to things on Swift UI. You know, be, I I do genuinely think it is the future, but I don't think it's my present. <laughs> there you go. I've got a contentious question here from Austin Conlon. What do you think of Apple's own calculator apps? Um. So I. The honest thing is I never look at them. Like I never look at other people's calculator apps either. And that's been the way that I've done it from pretty much the start. Because if you're looking at, especially another third parties thing, if they've come up with a really good idea and you think, oh, that's a really good idea. Mm. I, I'll, you know, I should put that in my own app. I don't think that that's a good way of doing development and design and things. Um, and I kind of extend that to Apple's own things. It's like, uh, I mean, 
they have some advantages, like they have a nice private maths library that would be very nice if I could use it, but it isn't publicly available. Um, and uh, the, you know, the, the UI on the, the calculator app that ships on the phone has to work for like, what, 2 billion people? Exactly. 3 billion people, something like that. Really mainstream. Yeah. So you can't go too deep on it. And uh, some of the stuff I don't like visually, the way some things look or how, whatever. Um, but PCALC doesn't have to work. I mean, it'd be nice if 2 billion people bought it, but, you know, <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen. So it just needs to work the way I think it should work. And, you know, try and I can try and try and make it not too complicated, but to have some depth to it and, and things like that. Um, but it, it's, I don't look at the other, uh, the other apps and I don't, you know, if they, I mean, they still haven't done a calculator for the iPad, you know, to, uh, whatever, how many years on we are. Um, I don't imagine, and I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that what, they are some engineer's side project to their main project. Well, another prescient question from Austin Conlon. Um, what will Apple ship for iPad OS first, Xcode or calculator? <laughs> um, honestly, probably Xcode. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I mean, I, I could see them uh, shipping something. Like, uh, I don't doubt that there's people writing... I mean, I don't know that we'll get Xcode, but I think, you know, making something that was constrained, like a Swift UI development environment that could deploy apps, I I, I think that's feasible. Um, a full, you know, interface builder and supporting legacy code and, a, you know, that could build PCALC uh, with its, you know, tainted Objective-C-ness. Um, I don't think we'll get the hat like anytime soon but i could see them spending the time and making an actual development um is actual development environment uh i think that could happen we might have seen this this year we might see this this year who knows i think it feels a bit to me like swift ui is a significant step towards xcode on ipad because you think about some of those inspectors in an interface builder where there's hmm. potentially dozens of numbers and up and down little buttons and so forth, it would translate into gigantic sized iPad screens, huge scrolling numbers, all touch friendly. Uh, whereas SwiftUI has a much more visual, if you want it, layout. You just drag and drop and add things and it writes the code for you or do the code and see it reflect straight away in, in the layout. And that would work great on the iPad because it vastly simplifies the sort of surface area of things to touch. Part of the Swift UI is simpler, of course. Yeah. Um, and uh, if they did make some development tool, it would presumably grow as Swift UI grows. So at a point, you know, five years down the line, maybe it is something that people use as their main tool. And things like the mouse support and all that do make it more feasible, mm. you know, because you can... Maybe you can say, I mean, I can't see them saying, well, Quas a mouse, but, you know, maybe it's easier if you have a mouse or if it's easier if you have a trackpad or, or something like that. Right. Um, 
I mean, when it comes down to it, we know it's all just, you know, pixels on the screen. Everything's possible on on either platform. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think we'll see full Xcode, but uh, I think we'll see at least partial Xcode before we see the calculator. Okay. But that's always the thing. It's like the, 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 that feeling every time, and I've had this for more than 20 years, every time I've watched uh, an Apple keynote, uh, is this the year that, you know, I get Sherlocked on something. Right. And uh, I literally worked on Sherlock, I should say. So, you know. <laughs> so the question here from uh, Yix or, or Yixi, and this is perhaps trying to figure out how you plan to be featured next. What new tech is James looking to incorporate into Dice slash PCALC? What's on your radar for cool things you can put in there to get one of those coveted promo slots? Oh, that's a difficult one. I mean, I think I would like to do more with AR because when I first messed with AR, it was the AR kit 1.0 stuff was pretty simple and it's become a, it's gone a long way, you know, with the sort of occlusion of people and, you know, mapping out rooms and, and all that stuff. I would love to do something like that with, with especially with dice because you can see the sort of rolling virtual dice on a table would be fun. Um, problem with that is the scene kit physics engine doesn't work well with really small objects they have a habit of falling through so if i had a table they might fall through the table it's not what you want so the dice uh in dice by peacock are currently one meter in diameter which uh wouldn't work quite as well in ar <laughs> it might be fun but you know it's not as practical so there's a few things and I, I've I've requested some features from the scene kit folks for being able to like scale down a scene but have higher accuracy physics, that sort of thing, mm. which would be useful for doing things like that. Um but I, I I kind of would like to play with that that the the more um you know, like the shared AR stuff you could imagine, like if you have two people looking at a table, so you can both see the other person rolling dice on it, you know. Uh, in different, you know, parts of the country or the world, that would be fun. Um, and presumably, Apple but, are going to launch some massive new framework imminently for this new lidar they have on the iPad Pro, and that's going to do something. Uh, presumably, I don't know. I mean, I assume that feeds into some of the existing APIs that are already there, um, just right. with more accuracy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe there's more stuff for that that we'll we'll see in June, um, maybe <laughs> in in June or next June. Um, yeah, who knows? So Emin Rubblack asks, does it help to advertise your app via ads on other sites, such as sponsored posts and such? No. You just don't, it's the simple answer. You just don't do it. Um, I did it for a long time. So um, I used, I ran Google AdWords for a lot, for years, and spent thousands of dollars on that. And then one day I switched it off nothing changed wow and then it was a case of hmm that's interesting um i think if you were spending money right now and i object to this but i think the best thing you could do is use apple search ad stuff and put some money into that because they have the simple search ads set up where you only pay money if somebody buys your app so doesn't matter how many people go and look at it on the store and click on it. You only get they. You only pay if somebody buys it. So that's one thing that 
do where you can say, you know, my app costs, whatever it is, I'm going to spend up to, say, say my app costs $10, I'm going to spend up to a dollar making sure that, you know, pe- people see adverts for it when they're searching for stuff. Yeah. And that way, you know that you're not losing money. They do have the advanced uh, advert stuff, which is far more targetable and keywords and everything. But for that, anytime somebody clicks on your ad, it costs you money. So that one is a, is a harder thing to do. Uh, also, if you've never used search ads before, you get $100 of credit. Mm. Um, and I am still running on the free credit uh, and, you know, made several hundred sales worth of dice out of that. So that's something you can do right now today. Just switch on the basic search ad stuff, set a reasonable thing and use up your free credit and how it works for you. I mean, I don't want to type for Apple because the problem is I don't like this because it feels a bit like protection money, <laughs> Yeah, you know, because it is the sort of like, we're already taking 30%, but why don't you pay us more money uh, to get uh, more visibility in the store? And that feels bad to me, mm. but as a way to actually do something right now, that's the best thing. Like there are some things that can work if it's like a very targeted product you have and you can target it. Like if it, I mean, even calculators are too broad, but you know, if you had something that was like dice might be a good example, not that I've done it, but if I advertised on some role playing game site, you know, if there was some, you know, the the destination for everyone who's playing D&D, if I advertise on that, maybe that would help. Um, but most of the time, if you're doing something like if you're um, like, a, I mean, banner ads, I think just seem like two decades ago. But uh, if you were doing something like banner ads, I've never had a good return on them. Um, because most people are, are either filtering out advertising or, you know, fast forwarding through advertising. I mean, advertising has a place and I like the fact that it can help support the sites that I like, but the more sites that can move to a direct funding model, uh, with memberships and things, the better because, you know, advertising is, I don't want to say it's responsible for all the ills in the world, but it, it's kind of responsible for a lot of them. Mm. I remember reading a long time ago, I think it was Seth Godin, I remember it was, saying the key with marketing or advertising spend generally is like a pachinko machine, like a Japanese pachinko machine, where you sort of fire balls in a stream of balls upwards into this thing and they sort of rock down and fall down into the right hole. And you turn a handle to control where the balls are going to land. And when you get the handle right, the stream of balls going in sort of becomes a stream of balls going out through the hole. And when it's wrong, you sort of fall into the void area. And your job as a, a marketer is to make sure that your cost of acquiral is less than the cost of uh, the revenue you make from that acquiral. So that, that's it. Yeah. Once you nail that, you can do what you like. If it's if it's five bucks to get someone in, 10 bucks of your uh, revenue from that, Great, take as many adverts as you want to. It doesn't matter. But if it's eleven bucks versus ten bucks, then you become the next Uber. Bluntly, you're just throwing money and and, and burning money. Yeah, very, very quickly. and and I I would not really recommend to anyone, especially at the indie level, of saying of going the sort of VC thing type thinking of, well, we're not going to make any profit for the first ten years, but you know then uh, then we're really going to make the money. It's yeah. like that's that's hard. To 
to do, especially for like a, a, a small or lone developer. It's just not feasible. You ideally want to be making money from day one. And it is hard in this environment, like the, the current, you know, the pricing on apps is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of, standard topic of conversation at developer conferences when people are in the pub you know discussing their revenue models and like oh we were thinking of moving to subscription for this stuff or we were thinking of doing this or you know we we're going to free within app purchase rather than paid up front and what's working for you and you know what works for one person is not going to work for somebody else peacock has always been paid up front and it's always done well uh, well it's not always done well but it you know it's it's not um you know that's a that's a simple way of doing it it's like give me the money here's the thing mm. and that's the simplest kind of transaction so you want uh, to but that somehow not- buy subscriptions i know it sounds odd subscribing to a calculator app but that's a really big thing right now isn't it? it but the thing okay so there's a number of things to it um as a developer i would love subscription revenue be amazing you know regular income you know people keep using the app you keep getting money um sounds great as a customer i hate them you know i i like i i'm prepared to subscribe to you know a couple of apps but then once it's like every app then at what point do i say no i'm 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 just going to use the built-in calculator i'm just going to use built-in notes i'm going to use some other tool or i'm going to use a lesser free tool um or or a tool that has a paid level but i can get on the free level or something like that Mm. and i i mean i know i have this visceral reaction to subscriptions and i don't like them so how do i square that with my you know as a as a developer that wants to be sustainable and wants to make money and wants to be able to continue to have their business grow or at least stay at a level where i have income um but I hate the things. Do I want to inflict them on my customers? Do I have to inflict them on my customers? Because otherwise I'm going to be hopeless. You know, it, it's it's a really difficult thing. And it would be nice if people just paid for software and bought the things that they liked. That doesn't seem to be working quite as well. And Apple's not helping either. With developers whine for years about wanting uh, paid up front uh subscription uh, sorry which just appeared from iCaleb by the way about um paying for updates yeah i mean paying updates would be would be a really nice thing but app had what 11 years 12 years of the app store now is not yeah, coming <laughs> you know um i mean there's other things that are even more scary on the horizon like where we've got apple arcade and apple arcade is interesting you know from a consumer perspective, you know, you pay, um, what is it, $5 a month, and you get all these games from lots of developers. You don't need to get any other games, you know. If they did something similar for apps, you know, where does that leave us? You know, if, like, for another $5, you get, you know, the best of the app store. Um, and if you're not in that group, well, that's your income gone, because everybody gonna go for this thing but if you are in that group what does your income look then i mean i don't know that we know what the contracts are like for apple arcade um i think 
heard from some people that it's actually pretty good or that Apple's acting as a publisher paying for development or, or something like that. But for an app where it's more long, uh, you're in it for the long haul. I'm not sure how well it would work, but that's the kind of thing that sort of keeps me up at night. It's like, how is, <laughs> how, how is this going to work? And I mean, like, you know, right now our, our uh, app development income is down like everybody else's income. Um, and, you know, we've actually hit the last few been pretty good and i don't know if that's because i i was uh saying how income was going down but um it's like for for developers where it's marginal as to whether they're making a profit or not um uh, a 50 percent loss of income could you know be the difference between whether it's a sustainable business or not very quickly. yes um you know even 10 percent could make that difference so I think the, the gap is that uh with Apple Arcade, I mean, like, how many platform games could you have? The answer is quite a few. How many racing games? Yeah. Quite a few. How many shoot 'em up games? Quite a few. You wouldn't mind buying ten or twenty of them. Like, how many FPSs are there? A lot. No one's going to say, "Yeah, I'm really glad I have four calculator apps on my phone." <laughs> you know, the, you'd have one app, and you'd stick with that one app, or the one weather app, or the one camera app you use. And I, I, I have Halide, I have Peacock, I have Dark Sky, I have the, the apps I use. I'm not going to jump around too much between them. Yeah, I mean, and and, but you could then see in that situation maybe then it comes down you have to be the one that's in that situ- situation. It's like, well, I, I would hope it would be me. But, <laughs> Who else would it be? <laughs> well, no, no, but that's the thing. Like the, you know, I sound like the BBC. You know, other calculators are available, and <laughs> and people do. Uh, there, there are other things that work better for other people. You know, PCALC's not a graphing calculator. It's not a, a, a sort of expression-based calculator. And there are people who need something like that. And there are better products out there for doing that. I'm in a particular niche. and But, but yeah, I don't like, you know, we're already, you know, if there's, you know, lots of, for any one product, there's lots of different versions on the App Store for it. And it's hard to get that visibility. Um, we talked about a number of different ways of getting visibility. But, you know, if it did go to that kind of, like, overall subscription model, um, you could see it just whole product categories just getting wiped out. Mm. Yes. Uh, well, anyway, James, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to wrap up now because you've saved us a good long time as it is. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show for the very first episode. I hope the listeners and, and watchers and all those folks asking questions have found it useful um, and a bit more relaxing, you know, something to listen to during this uh, stressful times. James, where can they find you on the internet? Um, best place to find me uh, is on that's James Thompson and Thompson without a P. Um Go to peakalk.com for all the peakalks, including dice. Uh, that's it. TLA.systems is our corporate corporate uh, website, but um, most of the stuff's on peakalk. Um, yeah, and uh, I, if you want to hear me talk on various things, uh, look on theincomparable.com, uh, uh, which is where I kind of do all my pop culture D and D podcasts. And I occasionally pop up on Relay FM uh, and on the Rebound podcast. Uh, you know, I I think one of my main advantages as a guest is I say yes a lot. So, uh. <laughs> well, listen, um, folks, if you've enjoyed this 
interview, this stream, this podcast, whatever we're calling this thing, vodcast, I don't know. Um, a, please hit that like button because that helps YouTube recommend it to other folks who then might discover it and might also like it. And then go and buy Peacock. James needs the money. Um, to buy more <laughs> of these mini figurines at the very least, please hit the like button. It means a lot of your support. Uh, and of James course- James doesn't necessarily need the money, but James would like <laughs> some of the money. Those mini figures are very expensive, James. <laughs> some of them, yeah. Uh, but also please subscribe to my channel and I'll, I'll do more of these. I'd love to hear who you'd like to hear in future episodes. Um, if you want to find me on the internet, I am, of course, Paul at HackingWithSwift.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Two Straws. Um, I've got a Slack. I've got forums. Uh, I'm fairly easy to find. Anyway, once again, James, thank you so much. It's been awesome having you here. It's It's been a pleasure. I, I'm looking at the clock, and I can't believe that we've done, like, one hour, 45 minutes or something. Um, it's nearly it's coming up to five o'clock. That's impressive. It is. Um, think of all the news we haven't read about coronavirus. It's been great, right? Yeah, I mean, oh God. did did you hear the people who are in, I think it's Germany, Big Brother? Um, oh. They don't know any of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. So it's like that. We're going to come out of this and who knows what the state of the world is going to be like. I, I No, end on a more positive note. We've had a lovely chat. <laughs> it's been awesome having um, you here and hopefully none of yeah. these soon. And uh, I expect you'll get some good sales on, on Peacock out this, by the way, because folks want I, to see the About screen. They're curious now. Yeah, you can get the About screen. Well, no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> All the yeah. sp- secrets of the About screen. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if if you like the stuff that I do, yes, it would be nice if people uh, bought it. Dice is a, a lovely little thing to play with so uh, good. for $2. So good. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, thanks for having me on. And uh, it, it's been a great uh distraction for, for for a little bit but it's, it's good to i mean like the other thing like we didn't really touch on is the whole thing with this video stuff it's great for keeping up social contacts with people i mean you might not get to see people in person but i've been like spending the, the week filling up my my schedule with like virtual lunches with people you know just kind of like people people that i would see in person uh, or people that I don't see very often. And it's like, well, you know, let's just do a regular, you know, Friday lunchtime. Let's, you know, sit, talk about, you know, TV or talk about anything that isn't. That's a great uh, idea. And uh, I recommend everyone do that. You know, yeah. we're going to drown the internet with all these video streams, <laughs> but it we it's better us than Disney Plus getting all the bandwidth. You know, we should talk to each other. And this is a really good way of doing it. And it makes you like... Talking to you, I, I kind of like, you forget that, you know, we're not in the same room kind of thing. Mm. All right. Thanks again, James. And folks, watchers, thanks for being here. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.